Well, good morning, Grace Redeemer Community Church. It's a blessing to be with you. Uh, as few as we are here in the building, I know that there are many more watching on Facebook Live, and uh, so it's just a blessing to be able to preach God's Word, uh, whether we're here, whether we're online watching. Uh, I love to be with you however we can be with you, and look forward to the time when we can all be in the room together again. Uh, but until then, we'll worship God uh, through singing and uh, through the preaching of the Word uh, for as long as we have to do it like this. But uh, Sure can't wait to see you again. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Romans this week in a message that I'm calling uh, The Blessings That Accompany Belief. The Blessings That Accompany Belief. And this is Romans verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now, I wonder uh, if you remember uh, watching The Price is Right. Uh, I used to watch it when Bob Barker was the host of The Price is Right. I think Drew Carey's doing it now, if it's still on the air. I'm not even sure if it's still on the air. But uh, I used to watch that show from time to time. And it was fun. There, The people sit home or sit in the studio audience, and the, the announcer would come out, uh, call out the person's name, and say, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And uh, the goal, of course, for them was to come down and to guess what the merchandise was worth, and they would win prizes. But at the end of the show, the top two contestants would appear in what they called this showcase showdown, where uh, they would just blitz these uh, contestants with uh, various prizes, exotic vacations, new cars, boats, jet skis, home appliances, all kinds of stuff. And you had to sit there and try and figure out what this stuff was worth. And the goal was to come closer to your fellow competitor to the value of your showcase without going over, and then all of that stuff uh, would be yours. And so, you know, most, of, most people couldn't afford any single one of those items, let alone like the entire showcase that could be yours uh, if the price was right. Uh, for me, uh, the hardest part for me would be just trying to keep myself under control as I saw this new car and this beautiful boat and this European vacation and uh, this jet ski, whatever it else it was, and trying to you know, think about what does this thing cost and then add it to the, what the last thing cost. I would be overwhelmed by the abundance of it all. Uh, and that's what it's like when we talk about the blessings that accompany belief. Uh, the difference is, of course, that material uh, gifts, material things, uh, we can, those things can be lavished on us, and, and we can even accumulate all of these things if we should happen to have enough money, or perhaps if we win the price is right. But even if that happens, those things don't last. The difference with spiritual blessings is that they can't be bought for any amount of money, and they can't be lost. They are ours uh, forever, and they last forever. So chapter 5 <clears throat> marks a little bit of a turning point in the book of Romans. Uh, in the first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans, uh, Paul talked about uh, the need for a Savior. We have this tremendous need for a Savior because we're all sinners, and we can't plead ignorance, and we can't plead innocence. Uh, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And then uh, beginning in the second half of chapter 3, Paul talked about uh, the way of salvation. The way of salvation is through Jesus Christ, uh, by faith, uh, because of God's grace. And then in chapter 4, uh, Paul used this illustration of Abraham to prove that justification is by faith, because Abraham couldn't rely on his Jewish heritage, he couldn't rely on the law, he couldn't rely on circumcision, he couldn't rely on his works, he couldn't rely on any of these things, because salvation, justification, is not by any of those things. It is only by grace and through faith. Now, if Paul had stopped the letter to the Romans at the end of chapter 4, just imagine he lopped it off, there was no chapter 5 through 16, all we had was chapters 1 through 4. 
That would be all that we need to be saved. We don't need any more information, but Paul is just eminently practical. He's a practical man. And, and so, uh, yes, the, it's, we want to be saved. We want to go to heaven. But why? You know, what blessings do we get as a result? Well, that's what Paul is going to begin to discuss now uh, in chapter 5 here. And so uh, let's just read our passage, verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll talk about the blessings that accompany salvation. So, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Lord, we just thank you for these verses and we thank you for this time together and we pray that the Holy Spirit would illumine to us everything that uh, you would have us to know from these verses, Lord. And I pray that uh, the people here and the people at home would be encouraged knowing that even though we're in the midst of this global pandemic, there are so many blessings that accompany belief uh, and Lord, I pray that we would lay claim to them today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin uh, talking about these verses, I just want to make two quick observations. Uh, and the first one is that uh, as Paul starts, uh, there is a difference now because Paul starts to talk about we. Uh, in the previous chapters, he was talking about you when he was talking about these self-righteous Jews who relied on their own works and who relied on the law. He was saying you about them, not including himself among them. And when he was talking about the Gentiles, the unbelieving Gentiles or the Gentiles who uh, were living this pagan lifestyle, he called those guys they. But now he's talking about we. Uh, we, so he's talking about those uh, about whom justification applies and writing to those people who have been justified, and he's including himself now. And of course, uh, he's talking about the particular blessings that follow to all believers, uh, including himself. So that's the first observation. It's now we, first person plural. And the second observation that I would make is that really when we think about this chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11 really comprise one unit of Paul's thought. It runs from verses 1 through 11. And there's uh, all kinds of uh, blessings that are tied up in verses 1 through 11, but uh, there's no way that I can do verses 1 to 11 justice in the amount of time that I have here. So we're going to just do verses 1 through 5 today. And what we're going to see today as we talk about this is that in the first half of verse 1, we're talking about a blessing that has happened in the past. And that's our justification. And we see that just in the very first phrase of verse 1. And then the second half of verse 1, all the way through the end of verse 5, he's talking about the present blessings that result from the fact that we have, ha we have this past blessing of justification. And then when he gets to chapter, uh, or to verses 6 to 11, uh, that we'll talk about next week, he's going to talk about all these attributes of God that make it possible to bestow these blessings upon us. Uh, and then he'll talk about how these blessings that we have today, that exist today, uh, those blessings extend into eternity. And we'll see all that next week. Uh, we'll, we'll have to save that. <clears throat> so let's just talk briefly about the blessings that God has provided in the past. And what we see is that justification is a completed work that happened in the past. And we see that in the very first phrase. You see that, therefore, having been 
justified by faith. Now, if I may bore you uh, with a little bit of grammar just for a couple of minutes, I want you to see that this word, having been justified by faith, is just one Greek word uh, in, the, in the Greek. It's dikaiothentes. And uh, there's a couple things that I want to say about this word. It's, the, it's from the very same word group where we get the word to justify, uh, to be declared righteous, righteousness, uh, being righteous. All these are from the same uh, word group, dikaiothentes. And uh, so he's talking about this uh, as though uh, he's, he's talking about this, this word. Uh, it's about completed action. It's, it's in what is called the aorist tense in Greek, which describes completed action. And so what that tells us is that it's not an ongoing thing. Justification is a, is a one-time event that happens in a point in time. And for those who believe, it's already happened. It's in the past, uh, and it's complete. And the second thing I want you to notice about this word is that it's in the passive voice. Now, if you remember your fifth grade grammar, there's the active voice and there's the passive voice. The active voice is when the subject of the sentence acts on the object. For example, I hit the ball. Now, the passive voice is opposite. The object is acting on the subject. I was hit by the ball. And so what I want you to see here is that because this is in the passive voice, it means that God is acting on us. God does all the work. God has justified us. We haven't done anything. And that is Paul's entire point through these early chapters in the book of Romans, is that it's all by God's grace. It has nothing to do with, with what we have done or could do. We can't possibly earn this salvation. The work is all God's. And that's why Paul spent so much time with Abraham in chapter 4 saying, look, you can't earn it through works. You can't earn it through circumcision. You can't earn it through law. You can't earn it by your Jewish heritage. None of this gets you salvation. It's all God's work. And so this is what Paul wants us to know. And he communicates this entire thing in this one simple Greek word, dikaiothentes. We see it all there. So we can't say we deserve it. We can take credit for it. We've earned it. It's none of that. God does it for us. And now that God has justified us in the past by these things that have happened, uh, now the current, the present list of blessings start to flow. And these are all blessings that we experience now, and we continue to experience them for our entire lives. And as we'll see next week, these blessings even extend into eternity. And so justification is a completed work that happened in the past. And point two, the blessings of justification continue into the present. And the first one that we see is that we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. They're really synonymous. Being justified by faith means that you have peace with God. There is no longer hostility between us and God. There is peace with God, and that is an extraordinary blessing. But we have to be careful about peace because peace can have this sense of a, a feeling of peace, right? A subjective feeling of peace when actual peace may not exist. Uh, a subjective feeling of peace means like, I feel like I'm at peace with this person, but perhaps I'm, I'm actually not. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you thought you were at peace with your friend and then at some point your friend comes up to you and says, you know, it really hurt my feelings when you said fill in the blank, whatever it was, or when you did fill in the blank. And you know, you had no idea that that had happened or that you had hurt somebody's feelings. You thought you had subjective peace with this person, but it turns out that you were wrong. You were actually at enmity with that person and you didn't even know it. 
And so that can happen in human relationships, and it happens with God, too. You can, be, you can think that you have peace with God and really not. Well, now hopefully you and your friend have been able to work out the differences between yourselves and, and that you do have peace, uh, and you are reconciled to each other. But what you see is that peace, just this feeling of peace, is a lot different than the actual objective peace that we want to have with God. And Paul explained that we can have this peace with God, but it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it there in verse 1? A peace with God is only possible because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And so he is the mediator between God and us. Now let's go back to our uh, little uh, hypothetical about you and your friend having a fight. Now imagine that it took a third person to come into that uh, situation and, and reconcile the two of you. Uh, you. You were at such uh, odds that it took a third person to bring you together and say, uh, you know, you need to work this out. And that person helped you work out your differences. Well, that person would be the mediator of the peace that you two enjoy. That's a human example of how this works. Now, when we're talking about human relationships, we can make peace with each other either with or without a mediator. Sometimes a mediator is necessary, sometimes it isn't. It depends on the situation. But when we're talking about having peace with God, we cannot have peace with God without Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. Without Jesus, there can be no peace. The completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross is the means of reconciliation. It's the way that God offers his reconciliation to us. He says, here is my son. He died on the cross for you. Believe in him, and you and I will have peace. That is the offer of reconciliation. And anybody who receives that offer has been reconciled to God and has objective peace with God. And that's why there's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And that's also why we are in no way responsible for the peace that we enjoy with God, if in fact we enjoy it, because it's all through the work of Jesus Christ. So if you happen to be listening to me today and you think you have peace with God, but you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, you are mistaken. You might have subjective peace, but you do not have objective peace with God. You are still at enmity with him. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior to have peace with God. Well, when we have true peace with God, we actually get the subjective feeling of peace as well, but it's based on the actual peace that we have with God, and that's a blessing in itself. But we have many other blessings that flow as a result of having peace with God. Uh, you know that if, you've ever, if you uh, have ever had a wealthy and generous friend, uh, you can benefit from that in other ways, right? If uh, maybe you get invited on a summer vacation or you get invited to take a boat ride or something like that, uh, sometimes those blessings of that wealthy and generous friend overflow to you. Now, hopefully, you're not friends with that person because you're using them for these things that they can give to you. Uh, hopefully, your, your friendship is based on love and, and you love each other, and that's why uh, these blessings come to you. That's what it's like, in a way, when we talk about having a peace with God. God is wealthy and God is generous. He owns it all. And so uh, the blessings that God have, they just spill over to us when we accept uh, his son and we uh, have peace with him. And so uh, even though we're in no way responsible for creating the peace that we enjoy with God, we do get to enjoy its blessing. So we have peace with God. That's the first blessing. 
The second blessing is that we get to live in a state of grace with God. We live in the state of God's grace, uh, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's present. It continues on uh, into the future. So uh, your translation may read like this. We have obtained introduction. Your uh, translation also may say we have gained access into this grace into which we now stand. Uh, I don't really like the idea of we have gained access because it makes it sound like a door has been opened and we have to take the initiative to walk through that door. It's actually already been done for us. So introduction is a pretty good translation. If I want to uh, meet somebody and, and, and you happen to know that person, I'll ask you, can you introduce me to this person? And, and you might do that for me. But I like the idea of being ushered in, best of all. I think that most adequately conveys uh, what is going on here. It's like God has rolled out the red carpet for us, and Jesus himself takes us and brings us into God's throne room and says, this is your new home. This is the place where you now dwell, and you dwell here forever and ever. You know, most of you know the definition of grace, right? Uh, we've heard it a million times. It's God's unmerited favor. And we most certainly need God's grace to initiate the act of salvation. If it were not for God's grace, we would never be quickened. We would never uh, have any interest in him. He would never draw us to him. It's all of his work to do that. We need that initial grace to be saved. But do we ever really think about how we actually now live permanently in the realm and in the state of God's grace, that we can never lose that, we can never fall out of God's grace. That is just an incredible and staggering blessing that comes with salvation. And this is, it's a really a hard concept to illustrate because we're talking about moving from one realm to another realm completely. Uh, and I could say, you know, it's like when you die and you go to heaven. It's a completely different realm, but since none of us have been to heaven, uh, it's kind of hard to describe, and it's hard to say what the blessings of heaven will be like. We'll know when we get there. Uh, so I thought of a couple of, uh, of uh, illustrations, and neither of them is perfect, but imagine you won the lottery, uh, and now all of a sudden, immediately, you have gone from the state of whatever economic situation you were in, and you've moved into the state of being uber-rich, right? Rich beyond your wildest dreams. Uh, so you went from poor or middle class or whatever you were, and now you're filthy rich. You've, you've changed your state of existence. But that's an imperfect example because money can easily be lost, and money oftentimes makes you miserable too. Uh, so it's a little different than God's grace. That can never make us miserable, and it can never be lost. Uh, what about if you happened to have found yourself in prison, and then you're released from prison, and now uh, you've gone from a state of bondage to a state of freedom, two completely different states uh, immediately uh, and dramatically. And again, an imperfect illustration because you can lose that freedom. You can mess up your parole and you can find yourself right back uh, in jail again. And so another imperfect illustration, but I'm just trying to show the difference between how we move from one realm to another realm and the realm is so completely different and it's immediate. With God, it can't be lost. We can't violate our parole and end up back in prison. We can't lose the wealth that we've been given. With God, once we have it, we never lose it. And so we live in this uh, state of God's blessing and grace. A third blessing is that we exult in the hope of God's glory. You see it at the end of verse 2. We're introduced into uh, this grace in which we now stand, and now we exult in the hope of the glory of God. 
Now, I want us to notice this word exult. It's different than the word exalt with an A. Exalt with an A means the, to exalt something or someone else. Uh, and it's right and, and it's good for us to exalt the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and to praise his name. But exalt is different. Exalt is, is something that we do. It means to rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's more personal to us and intimate to us. We, we exalt as a result of what the Lord Jesus does for us. And then in response to that, we exalt his name. Uh, so there's a difference between the two. This is about rejoicing uh, in the blessings that come from belief in him as Savior. Now we see that we exult in this hope in the glory of God. And we've talked about biblical hope many times before. Hope does not mean uh, that we cross our fingers and, and wish uh, that, that something will happen. Biblical hope is the, certain, the certainty and sure expectation that what God has promised, he will bring to pass. And so we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now this, this phrase, the glory of God, uh, we could fill volumes and volumes talking about the glory of God. Uh, where do we begin? And yet still, uh, we, we could only scratch the surface. How can we say all that the glory of God includes? We're not going to know until we get to heaven. And even then, we're going to spend all of eternity uh, just learning every day uh, in the glory of God, learning about it and, and being exposed to it and marveling in the glory of God. But here's what we can say with confidence about the glory of God right now. The things that it includes is that we can see the glory and the majesty of God in creation, right? When we look at, at the ocean, when we look at the trees, when we look at the mountains, uh, we, everything that we can see in creation, the stars and the heavens, uh, all of that is included in God's glory. And everything that we see uh, by you know, virtue of the Hubble telescope, for example, looking deep into space, showing us all that's invisible to the naked eye, all that is included in the glory of God. And then there's so many parts of the universe that are still invisible to us that we may never see in our lifetimes. All that is included in the glory of God. So the universe and everything that's in it, all part of the glory of God. The word of God, his truth revealed to us in the Bible, uh, wisdom that is beyond comprehension, that humbles the proud. Uh, and uh, that, that kind of wisdom confounds the wise. And, and some of it may be even beyond comprehension to us now. Some of the things in the Bible are hard, and some of the things uh, may appear to be contradictory at first blush. We don't understand, uh, for example, how God's sovereignty and free will work together. We'll find these things out when we get to the other side. Uh, but it includes the wisdom of God and the word of God. And the glory of God also includes the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about the glory of God, uh, here is Jesus in heaven. He takes on the form of a man. He lives a perfect human life without sin. He allows himself to be crucified by sinners on a Roman cross. He lives a perfect life. He dies. He's buried. He is risen from the dead, and he has ascended into heaven to be with the Father. And all of this is included in the glory of God. And one day he's going to return. And when he returns, heaven, the curtain of heaven is going to be rolled back and we are going to see all that is beyond the curtain. And who can even imagine what that is going to look like? And all of that is included in the glory of God. 
So the glory of God is this present reality. We, we exult in this glory of God, and we continue to exult because, or exult because it is our future hope as well. It's not just a present reality, but it is our future hope because we have been justified, because we have peace with God, because we stand in the realm of God's grace. We can wait in uh, expecting, uh, expecting that he's going to come soon and that the glory of God will be revealed then. So we have those uh, blessings that exist in the present. And now, uh, even more, we have hope, even in our afflictions. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And so we know, uh, living in the world, even as believers, uh, that the world is not always peaches and cream, right? We're, we're living in, and evidence of that right now is we're, uh, suffering the effects of this uh, COVID-19. Uh, but the difference in the way that believers and unbelievers uh, handle adversity in the world reflects our belief in the hope of the glory of God. And one day Jesus says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But in the meantime, there is going to be suffering in the world because we live in a fallen and broken world where suffering is a reality. And, and we have to understand that we are going to experience it because Christ experienced it. So why should we think we would get any less? Now, Paul was probably referring to the suffering and persecution that comes as a result of following Christ, a persecution from the enemies of Christ. And that's probably so. Uh, and we will face that kind of persecution in the world that, that will certainly exist for us. Uh, you know, there are so many blessings that accompany belief, but peace with the world isn't necessarily one of them, right? We are going to have trouble in the world. Christ told us so. But we should also remember that all suffering comes from the fact that we live in a fallen world, a world that is now tainted by sin. It's tainted by death and disease and viruses, and it's a world that Satan has been given a certain amount of freedom and dominion over, and so we should not be surprised that all suffering is a result of this, and uh, the present COVID-19 crisis is, is just a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. But believers don't suffer without hope. Believers suffer with hope, because believers realize that God has a purpose in everything that he allows. And he is sovereign over this coronavirus, and when he accomplishes his purpose, it's going to end. And afflictions for believers, they give us the opportunity to glorify and magnify God and say to God, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you in this. And the same conditions that cause affliction in the world give unbelievers uh, dread, fear, uh, and cause them to doubt more. Uh, so peace with God is something that we as believers should not take lightly. It's a gift that we get when we believe in him. So now just let's take a look at how this growth occurs uh, through affliction and hardship. We see that the first link in the chain is that uh, these afflictions, they produce perseverance. And the word for perseverance is this Greek word, hupomone. It's a great word, fun word. And it means uh, perseverance, endurance, patience, all these kinds of things. It means the capacity to hold out, to bear up under difficult circumstances. Do you know how people can run marathons? When you watch that, you're like, man, that is crazy. I don't know how people can do that. Well, you know how they do that? It's because they run. They run a lot, mile after mile after mile, training their bodies hard mile after hard mile so that they can be prepared to run more hard miles and more grueling miles. 
And it's the same way with developing our spiritual muscles. We develop our spiritual muscles by working them out. Uh, you know that muscle is built through resistance, right? That's why weight training builds up our muscles. And our spiritual muscles are also built by resistance, resisting the suffering that happens in the world. And the only way to face this spiritual uh, difficulties that we have and to build our spiritual muscles is to face them and to train through it. And the more we go through it, the more we'll be prepared for it the next time it comes. And it's good to be prepared because we know that as long as we live in the world, suffering is coming. So affliction leads to perseverance. And then the next link in the chain is that this perseverance uh, produces proven character. Now this word, proven character, uh, is, is a cool word because it was used about how they would refine precious metals uh, in the old world. So when you wanted to refine gold, for example, you would use uh, this heating process. You would turn up the heat uh, beyond uh, what anybody could possibly stand. You actually melt the metal and it brings all the impurities to the surface and then you scrape the impurities off the surface and then you have more pure gold left. And so scraping the impurities off the surface is what that affliction to the gold does. Well, it does the same thing to us. When we are afflicted, uh, what happens? It heats us up. Uh, we're under this persecution and, and the, the uh, impurities that come to the top, which are that we rely on ourselves for our salvation, or we rely on ourselves to try and get us out of trouble, or whatever it is, all of that gets scraped off when we realize that there's nothing else that we have to rely on except God and the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, and he's going to carry us through this coronavirus uh, just like he's, going to, he's carried us through so many difficulties that we've had in the past. So we need to have those impurities scraped off of us where we're in fear and, and, and dread all the time, and we just have to learn to place our hope in God. And that's what this does for us. This perseverance leads to proven character, and our questions are going to decrease over time as we learn to trust him as he brings us through trial after trial. And then the third link is that this proven character produces hope. You know, the greater our suffering, the more hope we're going to end up having because our Christian character gets built and everything gets built up along the way. We're going to be convinced more of the hope that we have. And, and this brings us right back to where we were at the start. It's a cycle. Do you see how we entered into it with hope? And then the, the hope uh, produces uh, affliction, affl affliction, perseverance, perseverance, character, and now character, more hope. It's just a cycle that keeps going around, and we get stronger and stronger as we suffer through each one of these things, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And as the cycle increases and, and continues, our faith, our proven character, our endurance, and our hope all increase. Now, are we happy in the suffering? No, we're not happy in the suffering. Do we rejoice while we're suffering? Well, not in the suffering itself, but in the results that the suffering brings. That's where the blessing is found. And through them, we become more like Christ and we become uh, more able to bear up under the pressures of life while we wait to be with him face to face. And so we exult in all these things. But when we are in the middle of suffering and we are trying to exult in the blessings that the Lord brings, the question that comes to mind is, is this hope validated? Is there really any reason for this hope? Is there any reason that we should rely on this hope? Is our hope justified? 
And so that's what Paul wants to finish this little passage with. And we want to be sure that our hope is certain, that it's sure, that it can be relied upon. And so if we ever struggle to understand how hope and uh, suffering are compatible, we get the answer here in verse 5. Uh, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is the evidence that our hope cannot disappoint us. And that's the fifth blessing that accompanies belief. No matter what we're going through, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's cancer, whether it's financial distress, whatever it is, uh, we have the proof that our hope will not disappoint us because God has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that we belong to him his Holy Spirit marks us out. It seals us and says, you are mine for all eternity. And so it no longer matters whether we live or whether we die, because even if we die, we're just going to cross over into eternity and live with him. And every believer has the Holy Spirit. You may say, well, I don't feel the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That's completely irrelevant. What you feel has nothing to do with it. The Bible says, if you believe, you have the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So every believer has the Holy Spirit, and hope can never disappoint because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Now this word, disappoint, uh, can be translated various ways. In your Bible, it may say uh, disgrace. It may not disgrace us. It may not, dis hope does not dishonor us. Uh, we, can, we can see various translation of the word. Uh, and that's because the first, in first century Israel, this was an honor-shame culture. And the last thing you ever wanted to do was to bring shame upon yourself or shame upon your family. Uh, that would be a cause for great dishonor. And so uh, when, when you hoped in a truth or, or something that turned out to be false, that would bring dishonor and disgrace not only on you, but on your entire family. And so you never wanted to do that. And Paul understood that, and he wanted to explain to them that their hope cannot disappoint them because they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. They already have the proof that the hope, what they're hoping in is real, and the Holy Spirit is the immediate confirmation of that. And I want us to understand that, that God is not a miser with the Holy Spirit, right? He doesn't just, like, give you a drip and then a drip and then another drip like a leaky faucet, right? He has poured out his love to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, the idea here is abundance. It's like uh, trying to drink it from a fire hose, like you could not possibly take in all that God is trying to pour out on us. And we can't possibly contain the Holy Spirit either. And that's a good thing, because when we have the Holy Spirit, it should be in us, but yet flow out of us so that other people are blessed because God has given us this Holy Spirit. And so it's just overabundant blessing that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is, is that God gives this to us for free. We have to do nothing except to receive a gift that has been given to us. They don't cost us anything, but they cost God everything. When you think about it, God had to send his son uh, God in heaven becomes God the man, lives a perfect human life. He then allows himself to be crucified by sinners for the sin of the whole world. God has to actively pour out his wrath for every sin ever committed on his son on the cross 
So when we think about what it costs God, the cost to God is infinite. But when we think about what it costs us, it doesn't cost us anything. The cost to us is nothing more than belief, receiving the gift that God has given to us. And so as God poured out his wrath on Jesus, now he's able to pour his love into and onto us because of that. And all we have to do is receive it. And the blessings follow because we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So how can we possibly calculate the value of these gifts? Peace with God, uh, access into this grace into which we now stand, the promise of glory, standing forever in eternal grace, hope and not despair when we are afflicted, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is just scratching the surface. It's impossible to put a price tag on these infinite, eternal blessings that come uh, when we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Money can't possibly buy them. They can never be lost, but we can only receive them by grace. You know that in The Price is Right, only one of those two contestants is going to take home the showcase, right? The other guy goes home empty-handed. But it's not like that in God's economy. Everyone can receive all the prizes. They're available to each and every one of us. They are, they are free. They're provided by God's grace, uh, by the death of Jesus on the cross for us. You don't have to guess their value. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. Believe and receive all the blessings that come with belief. And that's the message for anybody who happens to be an unbeliever, if you're hearing my voice today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, believe and receive all the blessings that come with that. Now, I trust that most everyone receiving or hearing my voice has done that. Uh, and so for those of you who have done that, I just have two questions for you by way of application. And the first one is this. If you have peace with God, are you living as though you have peace with God? Remember that peace with God does not necessarily mean that you'll have peace with the world. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to be uh, always healthy or wealthy. It doesn't mean any of these things. And in fact, in the world right now, it's pretty hard to have, the, have subjective peace, right, with the coronavirus. It's caused fear. It's caused unrest. It's upended our lives in a million different ways. But knowing that we have peace with God is a present comfort in the midst of chaos and peace with God should produce calm, even though uh, there is chaos. Because no matter what happens, peace with God means that even if we die, we get to go and be, live in heaven with him. So don't panic. Live in peace. Recognize this peace. Uh, realize that you have it and live like you have it. Now, you may say to me, that's great. I have peace with God. But peace with God doesn't pay the bills. What am I going to do now? Uh, I have to live in this world still, right? Well, here's my second question for you. Are you living as though you have hope in God? Are you living as though you have hope in God? Hope in the glory of God should produce joy. It should produce trust. Yes, the coronavirus has changed our lives. But God is so much bigger than the coronavirus. Do we know that? He, he he owns everything. The coronavirus is nothing to God. It's just something that he has allowed to accomplish something in this brief moment of time. And one day, it's going to be gone, and God will still be there. Do we trust that? Do we live as though we have hope in God? He's allowed it for a purpose. And I pray that it's revival of the whole world. We'll see what God does with this. But it should give us a powerful sense of optimism. We should be able to live in the world with optimism if we have this hope. We shouldn't be consumed with the worries of the world. Concerned 
Well, yeah, maybe, but consumed, no, definitely not. Uh, our hope is not in the world or the things that the world can provide. Our hope is in God, and he has promised never to leave us or forsake us, and that's an incredible promise of God. So are you living like you believe that? Are you living as though you have hope in God? I pray that we look different to a world uh, that is suffering the effects of the coronavirus and that God would open doors for us to preach the word to unbelievers. And I pray that because we know him, we can live with the peace and the hope that come from God's blessings. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for these verses that give us such encouragement, Lord. They show us that you are in control and that there are such abundant blessings that flow from being a believer and from being called the Son of God. And Lord, we are all children of God because we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so I would pray that everybody would feel encouragement today uh, that even though we're going through a blip in human history with the coronavirus, that Lord, you have complete control over it and you have control of our eternity. And so Lord, let us rest in that. Give us the peace and give us the hope that we need to get through. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.